You are listening to the weekly Great Governance podcast hosted by Dr. Harlan. So why do we do what we do? We are on a mission to find and voice the hidden stories of excellence in local government so that others are motivated to lead and transform communities. We share information and profile local government practitioners and active citizens who are ethically leading change and innovation in communities and showcase this on our various digital media platforms. Today we welcome on our platform Professor Trevor Fowler. Now Professor Fowler is the former city manager of the city of Johannesburg and also the chief operating officer and acting DG in the presidency with an incredible track record of resisting the evil apartheid system. I consider Trevor as one of my heroes and it's really an honor and a privilege for me to be chatting to you. Welcome. Thank you very much, Alan. Really appreciate it. Tell us about yourself and your journey into local government, from the presidency to local government. Tell us about that journey. Well, the journey actually started in local government, started long before I got to the presidency. I was in Botswana for a number of years. And in Botswana, I was the first the senior engineer and then the acting principal engineer for local government. So I oversaw the building of uh, infrastructure for most of the municipalities in Botswana. So spreading the, the length and breadth of the country. That's really where I work very closely with local government. But previously in other countries, I'd lived in the US and Canada. I'd also worked with uh, state institutions. In the US, I did a fairly big job in one of the states in the US on providing what's called the Federal Emergency Management Agency, working mm. for them, to really map out where areas would flood, etc. So it meant working with local government. It was in Arizona, which has very much a climate similar to our own in South Africa and certainly in the drier parts, where there seems to be no water. And then all of a sudden the rainfall comes and the whole area is flooded. Mm. And so what we had to do was really look at how you build the houses up. So then when I came back home, one of the first things that I did, I worked with establishing sub-national government and was involved in negotiations around the cities of Cape Town, Johannesburg, also what was called the Local Government Forum, which was negotiating with the apartheid local governments for a transition. And some of the agreements we reached there was taken into Codessa. So that was my first area with local government. Then thereafter, I worked with local government, even though I was Speaker of the Houting Legislature and later became the MEC for local government. My span with local government has been fairly long, over many years. So local government has always been the first love? Yes, yes, because I've uh, kind of got used to uh, working at a local level, but also keeping in mind that it's got to feed into the bigger picture, what's happening in in, uh, provincial and national government. I'm not going to go into your role as speaker, the political side. I want to focus this evening on your part as an implementer, as the city manager for Johannesburg. And one of the things that you oversaw there was the 2040 strategy. What can you tell us about that strategy? Well, one of the things that happened with that strategy, and it's one of the 
the key things that I think is important for any any uh, government. The 2040 strategy was really developing a long-term strategy and then breaking that 30-year period from 2010 to 2040, breaking that down into 10-year parts and then breaking the first 10 years in two five-year cycles and really looking at what you are going to want to achieve in each of those periods. So one of the things we talked about and uh, started to visualize is what is the kind of community that we'd like to see? Mm. And one of the key things that we did was this vision of a community that is, uh, first of all, has space for children to ride bicycles, has uh, space that young people that are safe, is a community that recognizes the diversity of our country, has people from all our different language groups, ethnic groups, and then visually putting that out and letting people get used to this is what we'd like to achieve. And then out of that, working out what are the 10 key points you want to achieve in the first five years and how does that link into the period over the 10 years and over into the longer period over the 30 years. So you may have a short-term target, but it's linked to a longer term target. And I think that's really the key to making strategy practical and being able to implement it. So there was a definite link with the IDP, that is the, let's call it for the lack of a better word, the short term strategy that linked into the bigger one. Absolutely. So what we did was the IDP was linked to the larger strategy. So let me give you an example. One of the key areas we felt that was not being addressed is really creating an environment where people are integrated into a non-apartheid environment, which is where people are divided on the basis of race, divided on the basis of language, as you had in uh, the townships, and basis of class, and creating corridors, which we called corridors of freedom, Mm. that uh, the vision was this corridor of freedom would be close to the corridor, would be multi-story dwellings, and as it gets further from the uh, from the corridor, they would the number of uh, floors would come down and would be you know single-story dwellings. But the corridor would then create the opportunity for people to have access to transport to their place of work, have an environment that. Uh, you know, you could in fact get uh, from one part of the city to the other. And we then worked that out and uh, created these corridors that go um, throughout the length and breadth of uh, Janus. And would you say that you guys were successful with this strategy? Look, the success relates getting people used to the idea mm. that you can take public transport. At first, it was very difficult to get that to happen. And so let me give you an example. The problem was, is when you put in corridors like that, people who already have an income from like taxi owners from that corridor, you have to then say, well, how do you address that problem? How do you make sure that people who are taxi owners don't become uh, threatened by the fact that this corridor is there? And what was created then was the Piotrans company, which is made up of um, taxi owners, and they operate the buses. So the buses are operated by taxi owners. And that initially there was some animosity, a bit of violence, and that disappeared very, very quickly. So we got ownership by both the transport operators and the communities. And uh, one of the difficulties, of course, you face is that going through every community, there would be people of different classes and 
In fact, we still live in areas where people, you know, of different ethnic and racial backgrounds live, and uh, they feel threatened by the fact that this corridor is coming right through their neighborhood. Mm. And we would negotiate with all of them. And the, the corridors went from uh, the inner city out to Soweto, from the inner city all the way up to uh, Ivory Park. And uh, we actually tested that if you took the transport, the bus, it could get you to the office faster than a car would get you to the office because of the way it was established. So there's partial success, but it's not totally successful because we still have our historically separated communities and mm. that is something you have to work at constantly we're not going to change that in five in two or three years time you're going to work at it and i think one of the problems that we've faced in our uh, the national effort has been that the demand for housing is so great that we then resort to using what is the cheapest land and the cheapest land is always the most the least well located land yeah, yeah. and we build housing there so we reinforce the apartheid uh, system because of to provide the numbers instead of the quality yeah and that's a, a key step that we were able to make in addressing this problem you know local government being local government it's highly regulated and politicized but you managed to innovatively think and creatively think about new ways of doing it how did you manage innovation and creativity in this highly regulated environment well i think the key question is is that what you've really got to focus on what is the goal that you're trying to achieve and uh, if you focus on that goal you will find that you can navigate through the regulation. So let's take, for example, one of the key things that happened when I came in. There is a big difference between the way national and uh, national provincial and local government work. So national provincial and provincial governments all work on the basis of expenditure. So every department worries about its expenditure. Mm. Uh, it's only uh, finance and SARS that worries about uh, getting the income in. Whereas local government works on the basis that the white paper of 1998 had this vision that local government would raise 90% of its income. Now, that's an, an exaggeration. It doesn't raise that amount of income. But it is driven by two things. One is, first of all, you have services that you have to bring an income in to be able to... Uh, to pay for those services, pay for the maintenance, pay for the bulk services. So if it's electricity, water, you're going to pay for the bulk water supply, the bulk electricity supply. And then you also have to pay for the reticulation, etc. So the only way to do that is you must be able to sell it to people mm -hmm. at uh, recognizing that we're in a developing country. And as a developing country, there are large amounts of people who cannot afford to have the basic service. So one of the key things is about the provision of free services. And in, uh, in 2000, around 2000 or so, I was part of uh, really initiating the campaign around free, at that time it was free water. The minister was Ronnie Kasparovs. And we put forward this proposal and took it to uh, one of the ANC conferences, got it passed and it became policy. Now they have free, free basic water around the country. And the idea of the free basic water and the free basic electricity is that you need a certain amount of water to survive. And that is approximately 30 kiloliters a month of or 25 liters per person per day. So if you take a family of six or eight, you'll get to around 30 kiloliters a month, which was mm. really the policy. 
And people have misunderstood this policy. The policy was that it's provided to every single person, whether you can afford it or not afford it. You get this 30 kiloliters free. But those that can afford, of course, will pay for it when they use large amounts of water. So the difference between Santon and Soweto in the early days was that an average person in Soweto used 58 liters of, of water per person per day, whereas in Santon they used 500 liters per person per day. So that's a huge difference in the amount of water that's available. And so, of course, those who are the higher income, they would pay for the service. And uh, one of the key things about addressing that is also recognizing that in, in the country, because of inequality, the eight metros and 30 municipalities, just 30, make up, or 29 actually, make up, bring in 80% of the revenue that is collected in local government come from those 30 plus the eight metros. That's it, The rim, those 29 and the eight metros. Now, the remainder of the, the 220 municipalities only collect 20% of the revenue. So you can see there's a huge difference in how municipalities are run. Mm. And this is one of the key things that we have to address. So the point I'm making is that when you're running what is essentially a business, but recognizing that people are citizens, you have to say, well, there are in Johannesburg, for instance, 65 to 70 percent of the revenue is collected only from 35 percent of the households. So it means that if you don't get money from that 35 percent, you can't really service the overall city. So mm. you've got to take that into account and you've got to say, well, how do we ensure that those people pay for their services? And how do you ensure that all people are save water, save electricity, don't use it sparingly, but use it uh, effectively. Yeah. And that applies to everybody. So that balance is one of the things that you have to do when running a business. And one of the things about running a business, you must give people good service. And when you give people good service, they're quite prepared to pay. So when I came to the city, we were um, the first year that I was there, I was dealing with an audit that was one year late to get it resolved and it was up to the year ending 2011 and I started in October 2011 after the end of that financial year but we were dealing also with a 910 audit and the 910 audit there was only 600 million in cash the 2011 there was 1.2 uh, billion and by the time we got to the second year we were up to 4.9 billion in cash collecting cash and we had we were spending and we had a 3.4 billion rand surplus that we then put into infrastructure and ensured that infrastructure was increased. And by uh, uh, 2013, we were up to spending 10 billion rands uh, in infrastructure a year. The idea was to spend 100 billion in 10 years. And uh, we achieved that largely because we focused on this idea that you have customers, we introduced an uh, open day for people to come to the finance department and come and explain what problems they're having, put in a customer-friendly uh, environment, took away the, the tellers, set it up more like the banks so that you can sit down in front of somebody, talk to them. And that's really one of the big 
big changes we introduced to ensure that you are focused on people as customers, but also that there's not a profit you make from it. So people may think when you think of customers, you're making a profit. The profit is really the way you are able to ensure that you get services to about 55% of the population who are poor. So you've got to make sure that those services are there. And so we introduced a program called Josie at Work, which is really employing young people, thousands of young people, in a program where larger companies were provided equipment, training, but the actual work was done by smaller cooperatives or smaller ventures. Mm. And we had thousands of people employed doing that. So it wasn't just uh, giving people money, but they were actually providing a service and doing work. Yeah, thanks for that innovation and creativity from that. You know, but one of the things that bothers me sometimes is, you know, there's a model of leadership in local government. Perhaps I can say in all of government that, you know, you must fear your manager and the manager to gain respect. He must be rude and demanding. You know, almost the South African way of managing it appears to be Basque. How would you describe your leadership style and model that worked in the city of Joburg? Well, I, I try not to give anybody a command or an instruction. I try to convince them that this is the best way to do it. Mm. To tell people, I want you to do one, two, three, four things. I will say, this needs to be done. Let's ensure that it is done. And if people don't know how, I will kind of give them pointers as to what I've done in the past. But it's really to convince people that this is the best thing to do. And uh, we were able then to get, I believe I had one of the most efficient teams that I've ever worked with, even in the presidency. In the presidency, I worked with probably some of the most uh, intellectually uh, advanced people that I've worked with in any other position that I've had anywhere else where I've worked, whether it's in this country or in other countries. But as a team, we had a team in Joburg that uh, knew how to support each other, knew how to get things done, and got it done because they had good relations with the team that they worked with. And I think that's the key thing. The job is not a single person's job. It is a team effort. And the way to get a team to work is you've got to have people all working in the same direction. You can't be commanding. There's one side to it. The other side to it is that when we agree that something must be done, it's got to be done. And so very often there's this emphasis on consequence management. My my view is that you must focus on the satisfaction people get out of the work. Mm. That drives people much more than the fear that I'm going to lose my job. If you have a situation where people are afraid they're going to lose their job, they just get uh, demoralized. But the one thing you've got to be clear about, if the work is not done, you're not going to get the incentive. So it's about getting people incentive to do things better, to have the satisfaction of doing it well. And if you don't get there, that you will have the support to help you to achieve it. And if you're just not doing the work, well, then you can't stay in the position. I don't see it as a consequence. I see that as, you know, you're not doing the job, so somebody else can do it. And is that incentive always money? No, the, I found that money initially is what drives people when you come to an environment that is not focused on the achievement. But what drives people better, what drives a team, is to be able to achieve collectively those goals. And the people that I worked with in Joburg now work internationally. They work in, in other countries, all over the continent, the people who worked in the city. And they mm. currently work all over the country. And how did you, Trevor, manage the political admin interface? I know that you initially started of working for one party, or because one party was in control. Towards the end of your tenure, you were part of the coalition. You worked for the coalition. How did you manage that complexity? 
Look, I think the first thing is is that when you're a manager, you you have to be sensitive to what the council decides they want to do. So you have to be sensitive. You have to implement the policy as is decided by council. Even if you don't agree with that policy? Yeah, even if you don't agree with it, unless the policy is against the law. Yeah. If the policy is against the law, then you've got to take a position. That's for sure. And I've had, I've had to do that. I've, I've uh, had an instance where somebody wanted a person fired. And I said, but you can't fire them because you've got to have prima facie evidence. And the person said, well, I can do it. So I said, well, if you do that, I would have to take action to report you to, to a higher authority. So as long as it's done within the law, mm. You know, it's it's a policy that you have to implement. So you may not agree with everything. If you don't agree with it, then your conscience will say to you, well, I've, I've got to leave. But you can't go there and undermine what is being done. So one of the key things is even when I was there, it was the governing party was the ANC. But I also met and uh, took the opportunity to take the 30-year plan that we have, the 2040 vision, and uh, met with every party and explained it to them what it has in mind, this is how we do it, and eventually got uh, all of the parties to it, because it wasn't, it wasn't something that was uh, denying anybody a, an opportunity. It was, in terms of the Constitution, looking at how we correct the wrongs of the past, which is in the Constitution, uh, looking at how you achieve things. So it's, a, it's an important position to be in when you're in an administrative role, which is different from a political role. Political role, you you want to win support from your electorate, but once you're elected, you serve all people, and I think that's sometimes what we lose. That's one of the big weaknesses we have at the moment: that people who get elected feel they must only serve their own constituency. That can't be. Mm. You have to serve every single person in the area that you have been elected to. So you manage the political admin interface well by being a professional manager, is what you say. Yes, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, the way the municipal, uh, the MFMA works is that the accounting officer is the one who is going to take the responsibility for when things go well and when things go badly. Mm. Politicians put in place the policy. There may be a difference as to how the policy is implemented, and you have to take that into account. So people may have certain uh, certain nuances that you may miss because you're doing it from an administrative position. But overall, it is the uh, accounting officer who takes responsibility. And I would always say, it, if you take an instruction and there's nothing in paper, on paper, it's your decision. So don't come later and say, I was instructed to do it when you don't have a piece of paper that forces you to do it. You must make the decision. Mm. So looking back, Trevor, you know, you've, you've had a, a illustrious career in government, you're now in the academia side and teaching. In conclusion, what are the three or four things that municipalities listening to this podcast must do to get local government to work better for communities? I think the first thing is that people must understand why it is they're, they're elected. And secondly, and this is, I think, one of the big things, that you may come from a different party, but you are not enemies. You are not at war. You are simply competitors in an environment that says, my policy, my style of policy is better than your style of policy or than your policies are. It's not about that we are enemies. I, so, you know, we in 94 came into the fact that we were then sitting with people who were in fact our enemy, who uh, previously had been shooting 
matters, uh, taking decisions that, that cost many, many people's lives. But we were able at some point to recognize that the system has now changed. We are competitors who have a position and we must sell that position to the public. And therefore, it is the interest of the public that comes first, not the interest of the party. So those uh, parties that uh, spend their time just criticizing another party and not really focusing on what they're supposed to do, I think are really uh, doing a disservice to our country. What we should be doing is saying, look, this is what we are going to do. This is how our policies are. If you were talking about another party, you would say this party is doing this, and uh, but this is how we do it, and this is what we and this is what we do better. When we create an environment that says these people are our enemies, I think we create an environment where we do have, as we still have in our country, in KwaZulu Natal and sometimes in Gauteng, where people kill each other over issues that uh, are really party political issues. Mm. But usually there's something else behind it and usually has to do with not service to the people, but self-gain, whether yeah. it's uh, financial or, or status. That would be the, the second. The third is really to in local government to understand that uh, we come from a country that has a past of inequality. And that inequality means that some people have better services than others. But because of our history, those who have better services actually pay more and use more of the services that brings the income to the municipality. So you've got to have that balancing act and you've got to convince those people that it's the right thing to do to pay for their services so the entire population can be served. Because only through that will we create a country that's prosperous. Hmm. Trevor, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed the chat. All the success and blessings on your work. And thank you for your sacrifices that you've made for the country. And we trust that local government will live up to the expectations that you and all other progressive thinking people have of it. Thank you very much, Holland. I really enjoyed the interview. To the amazing and talented Great Governance Team, audio engineer Bandila Kosa, the voice Mpumilali, and producer Al Ontong, respect and love. Keep the faith and let's work to make South Africa great, right where we are. If you loved what you heard, subscribe to our Great Governance podcast that is available free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And of course, also on our HRD Governance Facebook page. And don't forget to tell a friend to tell a friend about us. Listen to learn.